Good morning. Nice to see every one of you. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And we're confronted this morning by the story of the poor widow. Verse 41 begins this way. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. When Jesus says that, when the Bible says that he sat down opposite the place where the offerings were kept, it means that he was sitting down against the gate where people came in and out of the, the women's court of the temple. This is where te- Jesus taught uh, most of the time. This is where everyone had access. Uh, if you were Jewish, men and women could come in to that place. Sometimes he would teach uh, in the court of the Gentiles, but in, on this occasion, he was in the gate next to the women's uh, portion of the temple. And this is where the offerings were given uh, by the Jewish people. Uh, they were in the women's area so that everyone could give because the women could not go in to the men's area of the temple. They were forbidden. So the offerings were taken where everyone could give them. It goes on and says, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow, and the word poor in the original language means absolutely destitute. In Spanish, we have the word desamparado, without hope. This was a woman who was so destitute that she was without hope. And she came and put in two small copper coins. And so Jesus tells this story. This passage, though, has been used in various ways down through church history. Uh, Many times it's used to encourage people to give, uh, to give their tithe, to give their offerings, to give to a building program. It's used in many ways. The Franciscans used this passage to encourage people to live in poverty. This was one of their primary passages to encourage casting off the riches of life in order to live in poverty. But as I was studying this passage, I found another meaning here when you look at the larger context that surprised me. And why does this story appear where it does? It's in the midst of a discourse about the scribes and the Pharisees. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem that day, they pass a fig tree that Jesus had cursed. Do you remember the fig tree? They pass by the fig tree, and the fig tree has withered. And the disciples take note of that. Jesus comes on in, 
And then he's attacked by the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. You know, this story is the remembrance of the Apostle Peter. The book of Mark is actually uh, the Apostle Peter's thoughts. And they were written down by Mark. And this is how Mark comes to us. So anytime you read in the book of Mark, you need to be telling yourself, I'm hearing Peter. Peter's telling me this story. And this story was written in about A.D. 75. Uh, Some think it it was after the fall of the temple in in Jerusalem. Some believe it could have been written a few years earlier. But it's very possible it was written at or after the fall of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. But this passage is written, I believe, to teach us to give to God and not to men. So Jesus begins to talk about the religious leaders. In chapter 11, you have the the cursed fig tree. In chapter 12, the scribes and the Pharisees question Jesus. And then Jesus begins to tell about the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and talk to his disciples about the evils that they perpetrate on the helpless. And he begins to talk about this corrupt religious system. You see, the Jewish leaders of the time were legalistic. The scribes were actually the lawyers of the system, and they interpreted the law. But after the Israelites were taken to Babylon, after they were taken to Assyria, they began to ask this question, after all of them had been captured and uh, defeated by their enemies, they began to ask the question, why? Why did God allow this to happen to us? And, And it was probably a committee of Jewish people that made the determination that figured out why, because it takes a committee to really mess things up, doesn't it? They came up with the wrong answer and they decided the reason that God had allowed them to be conquered was because they had not kept the law. And that was not the reason at all. Throughout the Old Testament, what God kept saying to his people was to return to him, to love him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But they decided, no, it's because we didn't keep the law. And so when Jesus comes, he comes to a religious system that is steeped in keeping the letter of the law. It is burdening the people down with the need to keep every jot and tittle of the law. These men had become, Jesus said, predators. You know, one time I was with my my son, Matthew. We were in Holy Ghost Canyon in New Mexico And Matthew was a little bitty boy with a little bitty backpack and little bitty boots, very cute. And we went out camping, and this was his first time to be out in the mountains camping. I set up the camp next to a mountain stream, and as we were going to bed that night, after it got dark, you know, you get inside your tent when it gets dark, whether you're sleepy or not. We're eating candy bars, my son and I, and, uh, and Matthew says, Daddy, are there bears? 
I said, no, son, there are no bears. A little bit later, Daddy, are there lions? No, son, there are no lions. Daddy, and I said, there's nothing to worry about. You go to sleep. And so then he just went to sleep just so peacefully next to me. And I laid awake for about three hours worrying about bears. Because <laughs> there were predators out there, you know. <laughs> and these men were predators. They, Jesus said they devoured women's houses. Now, how did they do that? They did that because they were the lawyers of the day, and they would say, if you'll come and let me make your will for a percentage of your inheritance, I'll do it for you now free. And later on, they would get uh, the lion's share of the woman's property for themselves. And so they were mishandling the trust of widows. Also, the, the system was supposed to take care of the widows. And yet we have a widow here who comes into the temple and all she has are these two small coins the size of erasers, pencil erasers, to throw into the treasury. Obviously, no one was taking care of this widow. The system was not doing what it was supposed to do. And Jesus spoke about the corruption of the religious system. You know, he had cleansed the temple twice. He came into the temple and he saw people uh, abusing the exchange rate. No matter where you were, if you brought your money to the temple from anywhere else, you had to exchange it for temple money in order to make your sacrifice. It was like buying Disney dollars. And you were charged an exorbitant rate. This displeased Jesus that men were making money off of the money that people had brought to the temple. And he cleansed it in John chapter 2. And Jesus had cursed the fig tree, which represents as a metaphor for the system of the time, the Jewish system of the time. It represented an unfruitful Israel. Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the world, but it had become closed in on itself. It had become a system that rejected outsiders. It had become a system that was self-centered. And Jesus condemned a religious system that drained people of life. At one point, he called this, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, They looked good on the outside, but on the inside was death. And then there's Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is teaching something to his disciples. Jesus uses a teachable moment. Haven't we all done that with our children? You know, when they're open to to learn, he uses this teachable moment. And his words are filled with irony as he speaks about the widow. He says that the rich had given less than she had. What irony. He says she has actually put in more. Now the disciples are busy being impressed by Herod's temple. Uh, They were in the court of the women where Jesus taught. The temple taxes 
uh, were being collected over to the side, uh, and they were collected into 13 uh, what were called trumpets, the 13 chests. And they had different uh, offerings that went into each chest, and people could give to each one. Each one had a different aspect of the upkeep of the temple, and none of them were for the poor. None of the collection went to the poor. All of it went for the temple. It was for the maintenance of the temple and for the priests of the sacrificial system. And so Jesus looks at his disciples, and after having uh, spoken to them about this corrupt system, he says, see what I mean? He points to the widow. And he says, these men are predators. See what I mean? They devour women's houses. She was an example that Jesus was using for his disciples to share with them what was wrong, to speak to them again about the law of love. See, Christ was here uh, to fulfill the law, to put the law behind us so that grace might move us forward. Jesus condemns a system where the widow is expected to give to those who were supposed to help her, but were not helping her. And then Jesus makes a prophecy. He says that there won't be one stone left upon another. The disciples are amazed at the beauty of the temple built by Herod to appease the Jews. And the disciples are actually commenting to Jesus about how great the temple is. And Jesus says, there will not be one stone left upon another. Now, we don't know when this was written, whether that had already taken place. It was around the time of the fall of Jerusalem to Trajan, the emperor. Uh, it could be that Marcus is writing after the fact. It could be that he's writing a few years before. But whichever, Jesus, very early on, had prophesied that that building that they're so impressed with was going to be destroyed. And then Jesus talks about the widow. And he shows the disciple the, the oppression of the widows. And in, this, in the middle of this corrupt system, when we look at the widow, she's like a shining light in a corrupt world. She's like a candle in a dark room. And her giving was scandalous. And so Jesus points it out. What was she giving? She was giving two little bronze leptons. You ever heard of a lepton? A lepton is a mite. They were about the size of a pencil eraser, and they were minted by one of the Maccabean kings, King Janaeus, in 76 B.C., one side had a picture of an anchor, and the other side had a picture of a star. The anchor was a symbol for the royal family, and the star represented heaven, or the divine right of the king. And so as she throws these two little coins 
into the trumpet, which was made of metal so that it would make a loud noise when people gave money. Uh, we can ask ourselves, why did she do it? And there are several possibilities. What was the motive of the widow? One could have been to make a deal with God. To obligate God to give her something in return. It could be that she was making a deal with God. Now we know that from scripture that blessing follows obedience. And so whenever we are obedient to God, blessing will follow in our life. This is how blessing comes. Now, if we are disobedient, the only blessing that we get is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the blessing. But when we are obedient to God and our actions show our devotion toward him, then blessing is promised to follow. But she might have been, in her spirit, making a deal with God. People do that. She might have been giving out of pressure, a sense of pressure from the scribes and the Pharisees, from the religious system. You know, the religious leaders had a strict code of laws about giving. It may be that in her own feeble way, she was trying to live up to the pressure of an evil system. It could be that she was trying to work the system. You know, there are people that work the system. Uh, to, to receive something. Uh, she might have been doing it to just appear pious. Maybe she thought if she had was seen giving out of her poverty that the scribes would be more disposed to help her. And she might have done it to shame the rich that were watching into helping her, to draw attention of those who might have pity on her knowing that she is giving up all she has. We tend to think that Jesus praised this woman, but there's no indication in Scripture that Jesus praises her. Jesus calls our attention to her, and he might have been praising her, but Jesus is the one who saw her true motive. And I believe her true motive was worship. I believe she was giving out of a heart of devotion to God. You see, what men require of us or what they do never affects the quality of our gift when it's given out of a heart of love for God. It didn't matter why men wanted her to give. Her gift was not for men. Her gift was a personal matter between herself and her God. Joseph said this. You remember Joseph who was sold into Egypt? He said, men meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Just because someone misuses something we give them doesn't mean that we shouldn't give. When I was in Costa Rica, the poor came to our home an average of 24 times a day to ask for things. 
It was the first time Susie and I had ever experienced this. We didn't know how to respond to it. We did a number of different things. We'd close the door. We wouldn't look out when they, we wouldn't answer the door. We tried, uh, we tried giving them fruit. We tried giving them food instead of money. We tried all kinds of ways to adjust to being some kind of giver. The needs of the people never changed. What was changing was our attitude toward giving. How should we give? We finally decided that it's better to have an open heart and to be taken advantage of than to have a hard heart. What really matters is why we do it before God. And so we began, because we are not rich, we began giving a little bit to everyone who asked. We didn't solve all their problems, but we were giving, and we were giving all that we could, and we were giving out of an open heart. The widow knew how her gift would be used. She knew the kind of religious system she was in. She knew what her own needs were, and yet she gave it anyway. Because it didn't matter how the temple treasury was going to use it. All that mattered was her relationship with God. We are to give out of a grateful and a joyous heart to God. The widow gave not only her money, but she gave her future security. She yielded her future to the Lord. Because the Lord is our future. Amen? If we're holding something aside in case God fails us, where is the faith in that? If we're laying things up in barns for ourselves in case God fails us, where is the faith? We should let go of our gift when we give it. God needed to work on me some more when we got to Columbia as missionaries. I had worked out the fact that I was going to give to everyone who asked. Great. But I wasn't prepared for what happened when we got to Columbia. We began moving in. We began throwing things away, because every North American has more than what they need. And one day, I threw away <clears throat> one of the boys' toys. I threw it in, it was in a trash bag, and we placed them out at the, at the front of our house for trash pickup. A poor, family came by and started opening our trash bags and digging through them. And a man lifted up my son's toy and took it. And I became angry because it was my trash. It belonged to me. What right did they have to take the things that I had thrown away. It was mine. I had to search my heart. I didn't know that evil like that existed in my heart until that moment. Aren't you surprised sometimes by what you do? I certainly was. And it took me a couple of weeks. It took a long time 
But eventually, I got to the point where I could look out the window and watch people go through my trash and think, thank you, Lord, that they can use this. Uh, after a while, I started leaving the trash unlatched so they could get into it a little easier. Because there were people that needed it. They needed what I was getting rid of. We need to let go of things that we get rid of. We need to let go of our trash. We need to let go of our gifts as well. When we lose control of it and turn it over to God's control, there are blessings available for others. Now let's talk about Jesus and you. I would say Jesus and us, but God's already working with me about these things and I want to share them with you this morning. Jesus was examining the motives of the givers that day. Jesus was being judgeful of the giving. He was looking at them and judging why they gave. Those of us who have given our lives and our hearts in principle to Christ, we need to do it in fact. Those of us who say that we've given our lives to Christ, we need to wake up and realize it includes our stuff. It belongs to him too. And so does our time. And so do our abilities. They belong to him too. Because what you do is important. Everything you do is important. Nothing that you do is unimportant. Everything that you do is seen by God. Christ is watching your motives. Jesus uses everything that we give to him. It's an important that when we give, that we give to him and not to men. The Bible says that we work for God and not men. Everything that we do is for him and not for men. So why does it matter if someone asks for your shirt? Give him your cloak too, because you're not giving it to him, you're giving it to God. You're giving it out of joy. You're giving back to God, the one who has given so much to you. We do not give to men, we give to God. Jesus said, when you've given it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've given it to me. Why? Because we don't give to men. Every person that we meet is an opportunity to give out of our love for God. Even if you think what you have to give is worthless, God can use it. Right after I got out of high school, I went uh, to Gore, Oklahoma for a lay witness mission. Uh, at that time, I was a Methodist, and we, in the Methodist church, we had lay witness missions. And they were wonderful. People would go to a church that needed reviving, and they would share their testimonies. People would identify with those testimonies and revival would take place. They were wonderful things. But I didn't, you know, I didn't have this dramatic, you know, movie type turnaround in my life when I gave my heart to Jesus. I had a pretty normal testimony and I, I gave my testimony to a group of youth. I was just a little older than they were. And I thought at the time, you know, this is, 
a little silly, you know, for me to share this. I don't have this great testimony. But I shared, and for the life of me, I can't remember the person who spoke about me later. I don't remember where he was. I think he sat outside the, the group. Two years later, having gone to that church and not really having a sense that God had used me in any big way, any, any important way, I met the parents of one of the youth who had been in that meeting. And she said, uh, Jonathan, our son, who was in that meeting, passed away this last year. And we were in the hospital a day or two before he, he died. And she said, I asked Jonathan, what was the best day in your life? And she said, Jonathan looked at her and she said, oh, that's easy. That's the day that Brad Price told me about Jesus. When she told me that, I just almost broke down. I had no idea that God could use such a little thing as a lame testimony so powerfully in the life of another person. It's the kind of thing that makes you want to tell your lame testimony to everyone. It's the kind of thing that makes you want to take the time to talk to people. It's that kind of thing that shows you that our little can become something big in the hands of God. Our gift of time can become timeless and eternal. Because Christ has called us to a life of cross-bearing, of denying self and giving everything to him, of giving to him and not to men. Are you investing your life today in eternal things? Are you giving God the leftovers of your life? Are you loaning God some of your time? Is he a priority in your life? I hope you'll answer these questions honestly because how you yield your future to him will mean blessing for many, many people. Will you lay your life on the altar for him? Will you give your time? Will you give your talents? Will you surrender it all to him? I want to suggest some ways that we can give our time to Jesus. The first thing that we can do and the most important thing, the priority, our primary calling is to share Christ verbally with other people. The gospel is a message. The gospel is not a lifestyle. The gospel is information. And we can live godly lives, but at some point we have to tell them about the hope that we have. At some point, we have to open our mouth and share with them how they too can have that hope.
It is verbally shared. We can share Christ because God's love compels us to share. Another way that we can use our time is to place our time and resources in a position so that we can be on mission with Christ. Our resources should back up our mission in the world. Our time should be given to exercise our mission in the world. What God has given you, the skills that he's given you, the things that he has given you to share with others, those should be given to his disposal. And also, another way to give to, to the Lord is we need to spend time loving God and drawing closer to him. You know, some people consider some of these things a waste of time. Prayer, going to worship, meditating, what a waste of time. I don't have time to meditate. You just sit there and you do nothing? Who's got time for that? Ongoing prayer, praying without ceasing, these things take time. Wouldn't my time be better spent doing something else? Isn't that a waste of our time? If that's a waste of our time, then the greatest thing that we can do is waste our time in the presence of God. Today, I want to challenge you to waste time in the presence of God to have a heart of devotion toward him, to give it all to him. And when you've given it to him, to leave it with him and let go of the control of what you give to him. 